0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Ozband. here with my friend Khaverta Chavruta and Gordon. Our daft today, Masach Yuma, daf Membet, page 42. What I would say about this daft is it is a lot of Midrash halacha. Uh, we're going to see a real deep dive into how we learned a lot of the halachot of Para Aduma um, based on a deep uh, reading of the Tsukim itself. Um, and I guess I'm sort of setting this up for Anne to do a subtopic here, but you know the first part of the daft really gets into this interesting machlokas between Rav and Shmuel. And again, interesting, as I mentioned yesterday, about sort of seeing some of the Mestora of the Beit HaMikdash getting lost, that this isn't a machlokas Tanaim, it's a machlokas Amoraim, right? And they don't seem to have, they're sort of trying to grasp at Tanaitic sources that may prove their points, but they don't have so many of them. Um, but an important machlokas between Rav and Shmuel, and again, there's sort of a, the bridging generation between the first generation of the Amurayam. Uh, which is a which is as follows. So again, as I mentioned before, this is the uh, sort of forgetting things, right? Rabbi Yitzchak says there's two slaughters. One is the shrita of the paraduma. One is the shrita of the kohen gadol's bull that is done on Yom Kippur. One is allowed to be done by a non coin and one is not allowed to be done by a non coin. It's an invalid shkita if it's done by a non coin. And I'm not sure which one is which, right? So again, same thing. We're losing a masora, and the machlokas we're going to see is going to be actually between Amurayan, which is interesting. It's more shkita para uparo, right? So it was, it was said regarding this, you know, of the issue of a czar doing shrita of the para duma. Or of the Kohen Gadol's bowl, Rav Ushmuel, right? This was actually machlokas between Rav Ushmuel. Chadamar parapsula parok Sheira. all right, parok Sheira. One said that if the czar shakes the paraduma, it's pasul becomes invalid, but if a czar shakes the par of the Kohen Gadol, it's okay. The Chadamar paropsula parok shera, right? And then the other one, you know, has the, uh, the inverse uh, of that. And then the Gemara is basically going to go on to sort of figure out which one, you know, which one held which, right? Which did Rav hold and which did uh, Shmuel hold, right? And so they start by saying that it was Rav who held Parapsula and Shera, and Shmuel held uh, the inverse of that position. And they do that, you know, by sort of, sort of quoting uh, other statements that Rav and Shmuel made, where they make uh, really a deep read of how do you read some of the psukim itself and what words appeared next to each other and the qualifiers. So we are sort of used to um, seeing the Tanayim do this type of Midrash Halakha, this close reading of the Pesukim. Here we see the amoraim do it. Um, and again, I think we also see again that like some of this Mesohar is starting to be lost in Babel. They're not totally sure what the Halakha is. This is not a Tana'idic dispute. It's an amoraic dispute.
1: Which, when you think about it, right, we're talking a few hundred years after the temple was destroyed. Like, it's not crazy to think that there's legitimate forgetting. It's just really painful that there's forgetting.
0: Right, exactly. I just think it's, pain- that's what I'm pointing at. Just it's painful to see the forgetting.
1: Yes. So what I want to do is um, look at, there's a, there's a Machloket Amarayim that is brought at the top of a mabet, which kind of can be subsumed under the Machloket Yerdena that you've just been talking about. Here's how it goes. Ita, and again, we're going to bring in, you know, side conversations uh, to compare, to make it, uh, again, to try to understand exactly what's going on. We had, specifically, uh, we'll bring bring it back to Kipper, but we're also still talking about the parazuma. Yitzemar, so we've got this machukid, shritat para bizarre, Rabbi Ami o Amar Kishera, Rabbi Yitz Amar Psula. So you have uh, the shafting of the karba of the paraduma, Um, and the question is if you were, if it was shafted by a non-kohaine, does it count? And Rabyitzkhnafra says no, it does not count. Uh Ami says it does count. And Ula Markshera, the Imri Labsua. And then we come to Ula where the tradition about what Ulah said is not clear, because on the one hand, the claim is that he said that it was kosher, it was valid, and then the next thing is, but maybe he said that it was puzzle, that it was not valid. So you don't want to talk about forgetting, we're not even sure what he said in this debate. But this kind of falls into the discussion that we saw before, Yerdena, that you were talking about of Rav, Shmuel, Rav and Shmuel. Matziv Rav yoshua bar Abba l'Siyua ainli Ein Hazat Me <inaudible> Meha. She'en b'isha kiv'ish, kiv'ish, ela b'yom. So, Rav Bar Abba says as follows, right? This is, he's objecting to Shmuel's position. Shmuel's position, you'll recall, was that the Shkita is kosher. So, really, when he objects to Shmuel, he's supporting Rav, right? And Rav, who said that uh, a non Kohen doing the Shkita is invalid. And he says as follows I only have a limut, I can only learn this out with regard to sprinkling the waters for the for the paraduma Hazaa is sprinkling right and they would not be valid if they would be sprinkled by a woman as opposed to being sprinkled by a man and also by the way that sprinkling is only valid if it's done during the day the ancharin elabiyam which i felt was kind of like tacked on here except for that it's really talking about what does it take to get that sprinkling of the kosher now the sprinkling of the water is an integral part of the process of the Paraduma whereby it ends up making the Tame Tahor, right? Rendering those who are impure pure. But it's really it's the the details of that process are a sidebar here, as compared to the question of, you know, how is it that we're talking now about a woman doing the sprinkling versus a man doing the sprinkling? And part of the rationale here is of course that it says that, that we, the the vocabulary in the in the verses in Bamidbar are a masculine form. And the implication then is that it has to be done by a man. But it's not exactly so clear. And this is what the governor is going to address. So how do we get from the sprinkling to go back all the way to the shita, right? That's the machlokit, the dispute here is whether a non-kohen can do the shita, how do we get there from sprinkling? But, um Sorry, Meaning, how do we get all of these different procedures? The shefting and the collecting of the blood and the sprinkling of the blood and the burning and the and um throwing the cedar wood and, and no, I'm sorry, and the the Azov, the hyssop, and that strip of the the red, right? When we put all of that into the fire, how do we get all of that? Torah. It says Tamudul Torah in the in the biblical text, it says the word Torah. Which meaning law, right, not meaning Torah or Torah, but it means law <laughs> so I might think from the fact that it says law, right this word torah at the beginning of the torah paraduma that it's part of the uh, the all the regulations about the Torah, I might think that it's the same rules and regulations for every aspect of this of this korban. But so then maybe we should also include in that, right, that we're going to have also um, collecting the ashes and also filling up the water and also the, kit, the sanctification of the thing to begin with. And the answer is, well, no, it doesn't have to apply to everything because we also have the word Zot, meaning Zot HaTorah. This is the law. And the moment you have Zot to, to um, this comes to kind of define where you apply Torah, the law. So that the law, the parameters of the law are not going to apply to every which place because Zot, by definition of the of the meaning of the word, basically, will limit it, you know, it limits the scope of the application of the Torah, Torah, um, meaning that it needs to be done by a man and dur- done during the day. But Zot says, well, but that's not true for the clearing of the ashes, let's say. And now it gets a little more complicated. And this, the next bit is kind of also brought earlier on Ahmed Alif about um Rav's position. How could you say that you could? You have to include these things to be um, only a man and only during the day, and exclude these other things that don't have that parameter. You said we're going to learn all of it from the fact of sprinkling the waters. So what? What does that give us? meaning let's come back to that comparison to the sprinkling of the waters and don't worry about the fact that there's a Torah in the text and do it from the comparison of the details about the the sprinkling of the water which has to be by a man because it's in a masculine vocabulary and take that you know apply from that to all of these other details namely again the the shita the slaughter and the collecting of the blood and the sprinkling of the blood and the burning and the hyssop and the and the red string and so on so so basically what we have here is how the halacha seems to be known right it has to be done by a man, it has to be done during the day. The implication being support for Rev that you know that a non-cohain cannot do the Shkita of the of the paraduma. But so all of this then says, well, are we learning it from the verses or are we learning it from the parallel to the sprinkling of the water? And then the Gemara continues here, meaning it's still in this discussion. The same way that these stages, meaning the sprinkling of the water and now all these other things, are not going to be valid if they were done by a woman. As compared to if they were done by a man. So then also they're not going to be kosher except for they're not going to be valid unless they were done in the day. So this is these last few things that were excluded the first time around, also meaning they're excluded from the fact. Uh, the, again, we're talking about the collecting of the ashes, right, and the um, and the sanctification and the filling of the water. So these stages could be done by a woman, and they could be done at night. So the, maybe they could be done during the day also, right? But so then they are not. These stages are not included in this limo. So again, the details end up being the same. What can you do? Who can do it? There doesn't seem to be any real dispute about that. Um, at least you know under the position of rav. I mean, Rav and Shmuel are obviously still going to debate whether Azar can do it. But this business of bringing in the sprinkling of the waters by the woman—you know, not sprinkling the waters by the woman—the business of bringing it in as a parallel way to learn it, as opposed to simply learning it from the verses—is an interesting question. I think about how do we get our midrash halacha? Right? Are we inferring it? Are we inferring something that we already know from a parallel case? But we already know it, so are we really learning it, or are we deriving it from the biblical text to begin with? But again, we're coming to the same conclusion, so I'm not sure that there's any. I've yet to see any practical difference here. And then, yeah, the one question, the question is brought again here: So then, what's the challenge of this? Brighter meaning? How is this messing things up? You know, how is this a, a refutation to begin with? Eilema midb'sulin nami so if you want to say that the same way that it's not valid for a woman, it's going to be not valid for a non-Kohen, meaning the same way a woman can't do these things, specifically, let's say shrita, a woman can't do it because she can't do the sprinkling of the water and everything. So also a non-Kohen can't. Because we certainly have the phenomenon of sprinkling the water that a man can do. A man who is not a Kohen can do, but a woman still cannot do. So that doesn't work, meaning the parallel between the woman and the non-Kohen is not sufficient. And Abaye says, and this is where, again, the same rationale appears on, on Amadaluf as well, Amar here's the refutation, this is the point, Isha, the verse, the verse in Bamidbar says, you will give to Elazar HaKohen, right? When it's hakohen. you'll give it to Elazar Kohen. the fact that it's Elazar, that is proof positive that it is not a woman. Zarnami also is not a non-Kohen because it's <laughs> Elazar. He himself, Elazar is a son of Aharon. He is a Kohen, Velozar. I would make a stronger case for, for the Gemara itself, where it says, Why does it bother saying "ha-kohen"? It doesn't have to. It could just say Elazar, and we would know that we're talking about a Kohen. The fact that the verse emphasizes Kohen should really be, and perhaps really is, a bias point.
0: Again, what strikes me about this is it's Amuraic Midrash Halacha. Like, yes, they quote a Bryson here, but it's really the Amurayim trying to tease this out. There is clearly a gap in knowledge. And I guess I'll just conclude this episode also by mentioning, we'll talk about it more tomorrow because it's actually more on the daf tomorrow. You know, then we get Ula's going to come in and he's also going to do this very close reading of the psukim. Um, He does a different interesting type of read, which is, you know, he shows like one pasuk says something and then it gets reversed in the next pasuk. And then it goes back to something else and then it gets reversed in the next pasuk. Um, but watching the Amoraim do the Midrash Halakha is not something that we typically see. And I, I think these couple of daphim are very unusual.
1: But, I, but again, I just want to note that the conclusion seems, right? Meaning we already know who can do this and who can't. Right. So I agree with you. So I think really what it is, is they're
0: filling in the gap of how do we know this? They know what it is, but the question is why? And right. that's the gap they're filling in. So I, I, there's something sad about these Daphim to me. Like, I think that's what you're seeing, you know, that they, they know they're missing something. So they have to fill in the Midrash halacha that they don't have from elsewhere. Usually we have that, you know, we've seen those large Mishnas, you know, where Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Akiva, they're all disagreeing, right? you know, or they all have different ways. Those, those Brysas or Toseftas. We don't have that here. There's something missing here. And so they know what the Halakha is, but they're trying to fill it in for us. And we'll see a little bit more of that with Ula uh, tomorrow.
1: That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Thank you to Rebani Michelle Farber for hosting us on on her Hadron website. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this Machlok at Until tomorrow, go and learn.